Yo, party people, what's going on? Welcome back for the first time in a long time. Welcome back to the Look and Listen podcast. We are back one-on-one style. Haven't done one of these in a while. But um, this episode is actually, the reason for this and me getting back into it was actually inspired by this brother. I'm going uh, to let you know his name. I mean, you, you, you're reading the, the description already, so you already know that I got the great Danny Foxworth on here with me. But before we formally introduce him and have him, you know, jump into the conversation, I do want to give him some props and some thanks before we get started. Um, it was you and I believe Bushrod um, said a while ago, months ago, something to the effect of like, yo, LB, you got to get back on these podcast streets, man. Like, you know, the people want to hear from you or whatever. And, man, I got to thank you and him for that because I was – not really even thinking about podcasting. You know, I've been doing this shit like off and on for probably about 10 years. And, um, you know, I've had periods where I was, you know, more consistent with it and putting out, you know, more shows and everything like that. But, you know, it just kind of comes and goes, you know what I'm saying? Especially when you do a show by yourself. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little easier to, to find that inspiration to kind of keep going when you got somebody that you're working with. But, you know, from doing, you know, your shows that it's a little harder to do it by yourself. So, yeah, so, you know, y'all said that to me. You said it first, and I think he he co-signed it or whatever. And that was kind of like the little bit of a push that I needed to, try, to you know, kind of get back into these podcasting streets. So I said at that point, I was like, all right, I'm going to try to, you know, at least commit to doing at least one a month, you know, with the with the what I'm watching stuff over on the South End Cinema Podcast. You know, I kind of – we'll talk about this later on, but, um, you know, on the South End Cinema Podcast – you know, I decided to do kind of like the what I'm watching, kind of just, you know, give my thoughts on some things that I've been checking out on TV and movies and all that. And I was like, let me try to figure out, you know, some good topics that I can discuss on the one-on-one side. And this also comes to you because, and this is why we're here, I saw you tweet, and you can tell us the exact date of it, but I saw you tweet some months ago about um, the anniversary the anniversary of your sobriety. And... Number one, I didn't know that that you had, um, you know, that you were sober and that you know you you had um, an addiction that that we'll get into here in a minute. Um, but I wanted to, I gave you props on that, um, you know, on the tweet or whatever, and I was like, yo, that might be a good topic to discuss on the show. And it made me think of one of my cousins because he's actually trying to get sober. Now I don't know how things are going with that. Now I haven't heard any updates on it in a little while. But it kind of made me think about all of that. So, first of all, congratulations on that again. You can let us know the exact date of that so that um, folks know exactly how long it's been and and all of that. And then we'll jump into the interview and and go from there. Appreciate it, man. Uh, First and foremost, I got to give you your props because whenever I had you on my podcast the first time for the Firestarter episode, I was inspired by your Morning Jones 101 and your TVGWP 101 episode. So, oh, okay. Like, All right. Real deal. So, thank you for, for leaving your mark in the podcast. Man, world. appreciate it. Thank but, you. Yeah, but getting to the sobriety, my sobriety date is May 13th, 2004. So, as of today, I am 19 years sober. That's what's up, man. That is what's up. 19 years. Yeah. Man, that's incredible, man. All right, so we'll go ahead and jump into this, um, to this interview. I got some questions written out. 
Um, of course, there'll be some things that you may say that we, you know, get into that are not on script. But, um, you know, we'll just kind of go through the entire journey, try to cover all bases, and then, okay. um, you know, then we'll wrap it up. So I wanted to ask you, the first question that I wanted to ask is um, basically if you could just share your personal journey uh, with alcoholism and, you know, when did you first start drinking? How often were you drinking? And when it was that you actually realized that you had a problem and that you needed to go seek help? Well, the first time I actually got drunk, and I think I shared this on a Jonathan Stories episode of my podcast, was I was 12 years old. Um, actually, let's take it back a little back before that. I was maybe 9 or 10 years old, and my mom had a Bible of Manischewitz that she kept in the corner of her kitchen. And she, she broke it out one day, and she let me get like a like a micro fraction of a teaspoon just to see what it tasted like. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like a whole spoonful. Like it literally was like maybe a sixteenth of a of a teaspoonful. But I remember seeing that bottle, and just to fast forward to when I was a boy, I was a Boy Scout, and once a year we would have we did our scout meetings at the church at this Episcopal church. And once a year, we would have a weekend camp out on that church, on the church ground. So that Saturday night, it was probably about one or two o'clock in the morning. Everybody was sleeping. And me and my tent, hey, Josh, we got out. We got out of our tent. And we went and snuck to the back of the church. And we saw that the, the back door was led to the church kitchen was open. So we walked in there. Had no business, I actually had no business being in there. Right. And we're just rummaging through the cabinets, and I saw that big bottle of Manischewitz that I remember seeing my mom had. I right, like, oh, yeah. God, let's crack this open. And I drank half, and he drank half, and bro, we were wobbling back to our tent. Man. I don't know how in the world nobody was awoken by our commotion. But, buddy, oh, well, I forgot to add that Sunday, before we like wrap up camp, we, like, we kicked out our tents and stuff, and then we have to sit in church service. So I'm sitting <laughs> like in the second from the front pew. I mean, I know I, I know the, the the women parishioners could smell that man at yeah. I mean, I just had my head down the whole time, and I was just I had this robbing headache. And yeah, that was my last day in Boy Scouts. I, I, I didn't want to mess <laughs> up anything. I just went ahead and quit. I was like, Dad, I don't want to do this. Yeah. I want to play football. So that was my easy out. But fast forward, I really got back into drinking again probably around when I started college. Like, I say like around 1920. And back in, especially then, you know, the college atmosphere, everything's a little more loose. Yeah. And yeah. inhibitions are out the window. What year did and, you start college? Uh, 98. Okay. So, yeah. So we're the same age. Yeah. I went uh, yeah. 98 as well. So just started going to all these parties and stuff. And yeah. I just wanted to do what all the cool kids did. Yeah. And little did I know, that was slowly starting a path of self-destruction for me that I just wasn't aware of because I was always under the influence. Oh, pretty, well, in a nutshell, I'm like the fight guy when I play. Oh, shit. So, yeah, yeah. Really? I was, I was a menace. Okay. And once I got alcohol in me, there was no option. Yeah. Didn't, it didn't matter what alcohol you put in front of me. Give me that. Let me chug that down. Give me that. Let me chug that down. And I was just 
I was a nuisance to be around, but I was too inebriated to really have that kind of self-awareness. Yeah. And fast forward to 2004. I'm sitting at the bar. I'm drunk. There's a guy on the other side of the bar who I'm thinking is looking at me, but he's looking. Come to find out, he's looking at somebody else. Right. So I approached him like, do you have a problem? And before he could answer me, I grabbed the I grabbed the bar stool that was the empty bar stool that was next to him, and I hit him over the head with it. And my friends, they were in the bar with me too, and they saw what I did. And they're like, they snatched me up, and they're like, "Yo, let's get, let's get the fuck up out of here." Yeah. And we got the car and we peeled out. And yeah, I haven't been back there since. I mean, it's going closed now, but still, the very next day, they had to sit down with me. And right. they told me how I was acting, and they told me how I really needed to get my shit together. You know, it's like just hanging out, being social, being in social settings is a lot less pleasant when you're under the influence because you know something's going to pop off when you're drunk. Right. And we really don't like this version, and you, you need to get it together. And I was sober. But I was listening because I valued my friend's opinion. And I was like, you know what? Y'all are right. I apologize. And I'm, I'm going to change my ways. So the, how I got sober, it, I, didn't, I was going to say how long. I was going to just see how long I could go without drinking. And I didn't completely, I didn't set out to go completely cold turkey. Right. But it just ended up happening that way. But I will tell you, the first two months was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Like, I didn't go anywhere. Yeah. I go to work and I would go home. <laughs> and eventually, I was like, you know what? Let me, let me try to get some, let me try to get some, at least some kind of fun out of this, out of this new journey. So I would ease my way back into social settings, just like maybe one day a week. And I would tell my friends, like, this is what I want to do. If y'all see me reaching for alcohol, just just be my accountability partner. Like, keep me away from that stuff. Right. So what they, they had, a, and they thought they had a great idea to, to just include me into the activity. So what they did was anytime they did shots, they would give me a, either like a shot of water or a shot of PC and pass it to me like, here's your shot. Let's, let's take a shot. And... That right there was really it really helped me out because I was able to quote unquote participate in the event, but I did yeah, and I just it, I didn't feel left out of the out of the reindeer game so to Right. And then I started going more frequently to into these social settings and the more the more I frequented it, oddly enough, the desire to drink slowly started to go in the opposite direction. And to the point where I just had no desire to drink anymore. And yeah, May 13, 2004, that was my last sip of alcohol. Shout out to your friends for including you in what they were doing. Um, especially like for them to have the presence of mind to think of that in the beginning stages. Yeah. Um, yeah, we I think everybody, especially in college, has that at least one person in the crew that was like, they love to drink. But they if they probably I don't know if you were a lightweight or not, but in some cases they're a lightweight, so it doesn't really take much for them to get to the point of being lit. But then also that is like fight juice for them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I can definitely think of the person that was like that in our crew. And it was like the same thing. I remember times where 
you know, we would go to parties and, you know what I'm saying, he would be so fucked up that, like, sometimes, you know, they had to take him out the party, take him into the, the lobby area, and, like, you know, one or two of the girls that was in the crew would just sit with him and, you know, kind of keep him from popping off or from popping off any further than he already had. So when yeah. you said that, I was like, damn, yeah, you know what I'm saying, he reminds me of that person or whatever. Um, So you said, did you, you pretty much went cold turkey with it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Such alcohol since the day I hit that dude over the head with the <laughs> Man. And just to go back to what you were saying, I was that lightweight. Yeah. What What was your What was your drink of choice at the time? Man, I like I like Bud Light, and I, I, for some reason I always was going to Newcastle. But I'm also from the country, so moonshine. I was very partial, was very partial to corn liquor. Yeah. <laughs> somebody's uncle or grandfather or somebody who is making their own shit and they got seven different flavors and you know the whole nine so um so yeah so i was gonna ask about you know professional help and all that kind of stuff but it sounds like you didn't actually have any of that so tell me about what it was like when you first got started you said that first couple months was probably the roughest period of your life and I can just say from, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I got a cousin who, you know, at least was starting to try to to sober up after, you know, he was, he's been an alcoholic for probably 30 plus years. Like, he's older oh, wow. than me. He's older than I am. Mm-hmm. And for a good good portion of both of our lives, you know what I'm saying, he's, he's always fucked up. Um, and that, I'm not ashamed to say that. I think everybody has, you know, we, we're all regular people. We've all got, you know, these things in our families and, and around us and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I know that when he first started, he tried to go cold turkey from a, from a person that was drunk every day. I don't know if you were drunk like that every day, but from being a person who was, like, drunk like that every day to trying to stop. And it fucked him up real bad. Like, he had to go to the hospital, and he almost died. Like, I think he had a couple seizures, and, like, and that made me think about it. And that was another reason why I wanted to to talk with you about this, because I wasn't even aware of the fact. Like, I guess you don't really think about it in terms of, like, a person trying to sober up from drinking. Obviously, we know that there's people that that do have um, problems with alcoholism, and there's plenty of people who don't drink anymore, but... I was thinking of like the stuff that I heard that he went through of being more of the type of thing that would happen to a person that's trying to kick some kind of hard drug. But then you think about it, it's like, I mean, even though this is some shit that you can buy at a store and all of that, to a certain extent, liquor and alcohol can be a hard drug for some people. So what was your experience like when you first started it? Like, you know, when you, when you were really going through that toughest point of your life, you know, what was kind of like the day to day experience of that? I was just wake up just having these, these really bad withdrawals. Yeah. And I'm just like, I need, I need some alcohol in me to, to smooth me back out. Right. Because, like, I would just like, I mean, like, I would have the shakes and stuff. And, like, I would just, I felt like I couldn't do anything without having alcohol to fuel my, my get up and go. Mm. And I was, it was just, it was just pure willpower. I was like, all right, you just, you, 
exactly my story like i i stopped yeah. eating pork in uh 2001 oh wow and it wasn't by design like i i was just trying to cut back yeah. um my roommate at the time my homeboy you know he was he's got like a lot of muslims in his family and five percenters and all that kind of stuff okay so at the time you know we weren't really buying it you know i didn't really buy too much of it we had an apartment we were in the apartment we were still in college at the time and um, so I was just kind of trying to cut back. And I was like, you know, when I go visit my family in the country, then I'll, I'll have some like, you know, because I got a lot of family in northeastern North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was like, when I go up that way, then I'll have some, you know, like bread sausage, you know, the, the breakfast links, hot link sausage that they have, and yeah. ham and all that stuff. You know, when I go get my aunts cooking, then I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll rock with it then. But that was a busy year for me. I wasn't really able to get back up that way a lot. So, you know, months went by and I hadn't had any pork. And like you said, it's one of those things where, like, after a while, your body gets used to it not being there. So I was like, shit, I don't, I don't know if I'm at that point or not, but I don't want to find out the hard way. So yeah. I was like, I guess I'm going to just leave it alone. And that turned into, you know, the last, what, 21, 22 years. Yeah, of, <laughs> of not having any man. not having any pork so totally different situation but you know similar in the sense that you know you can adjust to anything a person mentally and physically physically can adjust to whatever that they need to and so it definitely sounds like you got lucky in that sense like you know what he went through sounded like it was hell yeah um what were the withdrawals like like what what did that feel like and and you know can you Remember what that was like and, and describe that for us? A lot of vomiting. Yeah. A lot of throwing up. A lot of my body just not being used to having alcohol in it. So my body is just like, bro, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> Where, where's, this, where's this alcohol? I right. can't function. So a lot, of, a lot of throwing up, a lot of cold sweats, a lot of shakes. I mean, it was it was bad. Yeah. I mean, that was another one of the reasons why I didn't go out because I didn't want people to see me in that in that yeah in that condition. But I had to swallow my pride and you know just, just refrain from refrain from drinking. So it sounds like you were pretty much motivated by the fact that after having an intervention and you saw yourself through other people's eyes and you felt like you disappointed and you know correct me if I'm wrong I don't want to put words in your mouth but it sounds like my friends and even family members maybe have told me that I'm this way when I drink and they don't want to be around me and all that 
And eventually you were able to internalize that and use that as your motivation to not touch it anymore. Did, where did that like, have you always had that type of, um, you know, inner strength or was that like the first time? Like, did you surprise yourself by being able to do that? Very much so. Because honestly, like end of the day, I didn't want to let myself down and I didn't want to let my friends down. Yeah. I didn't want to break that promise that I made to them. And as far as that, that intestinal fortitude, that was really the first time that I realized like how much in the strength that I really had yeah. I just applied myself. Because aside from that, man, I didn't really have discipline like that. I mean that's that's a that's a fucking extraordinary amount of discipline. Like, even even the most disciplined people, I think there's always a level that you can go to that you don't even know is there until you actually have to tap into it. Yeah. And it seems like you were able to find that and actually stay on the straight and narrow path. You said that you never touched it, so you never fell off the horse at any point. At any point. Not, not a drop of alcohol. That's what's up. Um, so you mentioned that your friends included you, and in, like when they would go to the bar, when you did start going back out, they would kind of include you. They would give you a shot of water or a soda or tea or something like that so that you could take a shot mm -hmm. with them. What other ways did friends and family support you through the process, especially during the early days? of trying to sober up. Like, once it was kind of a known thing, like Danny's trying to stop drinking, what other ways did friends, either those same friends or, or other people that were in your life, you know, show you support and try to keep you on the right track? Well, to be completely honest with you, Leonard, I hid that from a lot of my family. Like, there, oh, okay. there might have been maybe one or two people in my family that knew, and this really wasn't even a, like a media thing. Mm. Because I just, I felt, I felt ashamed of being forthcoming about my addiction to them. Right. Especially seeing that my mom is a preacher. Oh, okay, so yeah. I, yeah. yeah. So I didn't I didn't want to, you know, shame her and then bring out bring the family name down. Right. I I kept that I kept my alcoholism very, very close to the back. Right. But as as far as my friends, I mean they just like I said, they would include me into their activities, but they would have like alcohol-free versions of those activities. Mm -hmm. So I didn't feel left out, and we still had a, a, a fantastic time wherever we went. Right. So how important was that to you? Do you think that that was an important? Like, if, if they weren't able to do that, if they didn't think of that, do you think that you would have still been able to stay on the right path just because of the fact that, yo, I don't want to disappoint my people anymore? Or do you think that maybe at some point, if you didn't have that type of support and that type of, like, friends group, that maybe at some point it could have, you know, went badly? I think if it wasn't for them incorporating that, I probably would have reverted back to my old way. Yeah. Being completely honest. Because at that time, I was still trying to build up that, that willpower and, like, trying to kick the habit for good. Right. And... By them doing that, it made it significantly easier for me to transition into the, the sober life. That's what's up. All right, so we're getting kind of close to the end, but I did want to ask you this. Um, 
you know, we talked about you being able to just kind of have a, a very strong mind and, and sticking with the program that you decided. What were some of the strategies or techniques that you would use um, in the early days and even now in order to, to you know, kind of cope? You know, like you have this, um, this physical urge to drink and, you know, it's calling you, you know, like Chris Rock said, that shit just keeps calling me. How, <laughs> how were you able to actually, like, what were some of the steps that you were able to take? Like when, you, like when you're alone, like, for example, like, you know, you just talked about friends, like when they're when we're out, my friends are including me and things are like. But you know, when it's when it's Danny at the house by himself, and there's nobody around and nobody would know, how did you stay on track with that? What were some of the things that you were able to do, um, and and how were you able to sort of like, what were some of the areas that you were able to like channel that energy into doing something else and not going back to the bottle? What my friends <clears throat> did with me at the bar, I took that home with me and implemented that same strategy. Got you. So I would constantly keep water in the fridge. Every now and then I was like, sweet tea, I didn't, well, I was, I also made a conscious effort to, it was also basically forcing me to drink more water also. So that yeah. was another help. Yeah. And just like the water and the sweet tea at the bar, I would have water like during the week, like sweet tea. That was, that was a celebratory thing for me, just making it through the week. Okay. So I would have sweet tea, but it was in moderation. Right. But just bringing what they did for me at the bar, like I said, home, back home with me. And that that helped me out, I think, more than they really know. Yeah. Have you ever told them that, like, you know, along the way? Okay. And what I was did. their reaction? What, 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 what did they think or what did they say? Some smiled, some cried, but we, they all hugged me. I was like, man, yeah. like, dog, we are so proud of you. Man, and yeah. Seeing the change in you and the fact that you were willing to make that change because we right. didn't tell you you're doing wrong all you want, but ultimately it's up to you to make that change. And exactly. We're just and, super proud of what you're doing. And especially because it sounds like they really came to you um, and had an intervention. Like they were like, look, nigga, you got to stop this shit. Like, yeah. That could go so many different ways, like, you know, because I think most people, I think everybody is like this to a certain extent, like, what what you say is important, but how you say that shit, and if they don't say it to you in a way that you will receive, even though you know that they're telling you something that's true, and that is correct, and maybe I do need to change, if you didn't like how they approached you, then you wouldn't have been receptive to it, at least not in that moment, you know, you may have come around at some other point, but at that time, you'd have been like, yo, man, get the fuck out of my face. You know what I'm saying? And and yeah. went back and had some drinks and all that kind of stuff. And then maybe at some other point, been like, yo, they're right. Because I just hit somebody else with a chair. And that man didn't deserve that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, it seems like, you know, they were able to, to approach you in a way that you were able to receive. And then you did the work from there and they were there to support you. So shout out to your friends for being the type of people that they are and for, you know, voicing their opinion and voicing their concerns because it's so easy to just kind of let somebody go and just do their thing. You know what I mean? And like to kind of like, even though it does affect you to kind of just like not really get involved to that level of what someone's doing. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Um, so that's 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 really great that they were able to um, to step up like that, and that you were able to step up to the plate as well. Um, shout out to that baseball reference. With the intervention, there's also this delicate balance because they can say like they can be really like really just bullish with their delivery. Yeah. With the, with their message, and also as the recipient, I had to develop this emotional filter as well. So like even though they might have been saying it hard, the words were very true. Yeah. And I needed to just run it through the filter of okay, they're being a little they're being a little bullish with their approach, but they're also coming from a place of love. Yeah. And a place of concern. Right. And you know, and these are people whose opinions I value greatly. Yeah, clearly. I mean these are people I've been running with like in the sandbox days. So yeah. I hold their opinions in high esteem, and when they told me that, I was like, you know what? If they're telling me that, then this clearly this is the yeah. moment. And so, like, so going back to that moment, like, you know, what was that like to hear that? And did you before that did you feel like you didn't have a problem and that everything was fine? I'm in control and all of that. And then for you to hear that, was it kind of like you started putting it all together in that? sort of like in that moment or in that atmosphere or did it kind of sink in a little bit and you be like I think they are on to something and then you kind of piece it all together and sort of realize what you had done because it's kind of like you know while you're in it you don't really see what's going on you know what I'm saying and then so like when did you actually like was it instantly when they said it or was it like did it take you a little bit of time to fully grasp like yo I'm really fucking up out here like this is like you know, what was that like? What, what? Well, when they sat me down, like each person would just give, they gave me multiple, uh, like each person would give me multiple different accounts of my conduct whenever I was under the influence. And if they're all talking to me about this, it's like it was hurtful, but at the, at the end of the day, as they're telling me this, I'm like, okay, if they're all having different accounts of these stories, ultimately, I'm the common denominator. Yeah. So I'm the, the the root of all of these problems and all of these fuck ups. And they're like, bro, we've known you. Like I said, we've known you like since we were like like little kids. Yeah. And we just we don't like seeing you in this in this in this state of mind. And we're just doing this again out of love and out of concern for you because if you keep going on down. It's only going to be four of us and not five. Yeah, especially if you the nigga that likes to fight when you get drunk. Cause one day you you were gonna fuck around and find out. One day. Yeah. <laughs> you might. Like, yeah, you know what I mean. You might have ran up. Yeah. You might have hit somebody in the head with a chair, and they ain't, and they don't go down, or they get down but they're not out. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, yeah, man. Um. So how has your life changed since since overcoming alcoholism? You know, are there any positive impacts, mental, physical, emotional, or otherwise, that you want to highlight? Um, you know, mentally, a lot more clear. Yeah, and it's mentally, and I saved a hell of a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, man, that alcohol money at that time. I was like, man, alcohol money. Yeah, I can, I can use that on kick, man. What am I doing? Hell yeah. I was, I was like, just taking stock of how much I drink. I'm like, 
Yeah. Yeah. I could have had some Jordans in my closet by now. Hell yeah. But, I mean, it's better late to pick up on that than never. Exactly. Yeah, you definitely got it got it together now. Because I know, because I, I still drink or whatever. And, yeah, buying a bottle of liquor, especially if you're trying to get something that's at least decent quality. I mean, you can get yeah. the cheap $5 stuff and all that. But that's that that stuff that's going to tear your stomach up and and fuck you up more than than anything else, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, trying to you know twenty, thirty, forty dollars is easy to spend that much on something, and then of course it gets even more expensive than that, you know what I mean? So yeah, you definitely have saved yourself a lot of money and, and can put that into to other things. Um, so really the last thing that I wanted to to ask us is a couple more things. Um, you know they say it's an ongoing process, and you've kind of gone you know going over it or whatever but um you know how do you manage you know at you know potential triggers or temptations uh when it comes to drinking or whatever um you know especially and this is again a thing that i thought about probably like when i when i started thinking about my cousin trying to go through the beginning of his process because like with other drugs you know you got to kind of be plugged into it but with this i mean it's everywhere you go that's a good point. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's ads for it on TV. You go to any restaurant or bar or whatever, you know, it's all around you. So, and especially with you going cold turkey or whatever, like, that's that's not really a common story, I wouldn't think. So, you know, how do you kind of manage that? I mean, at this point, you're, what, 20, you said 19 years? Yeah. So, at this point, you probably got a, a, a really good handle on it, you know what I mean? A lot better than you did when you first started. But, obviously... You know, we're all people. We have our weak moments. We have our times where, you know, where something that normally isn't tempting to you may be tempting today, you know. And and I always hear about people talking about, like, you know, a lot of people who are former addicts can tell you the number of days that they've been sober. Like, they can break that 19 years down into how many days. And they say that every day is a choice for you not to go back. So how do you maintain to continue to make that choice of, I'm not fucking with that. Is it still the same motivation of not wanting to disappoint family and friends, or have you also added other things into it to where, like, if I go back to drinking, then not only will I disappoint my people, but I'm going to also mess up X, Y, Z? Well, to be honest with you, the the desire to, the, the complete and total desire to drink left, my, left out of me probably within, I'll say the first, year and a half, like somewhere in that time period. So I don't really, I couldn't say the last time I really got triggered, like just being around alcohol or being around people that drink. Right. I'm just like, all right, man, you drink up. I mean, it's, I'm just, I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm not bothered, not bothered by it at all. Right. That's what's up, man. So two if, more. I was going to say, if anything, it, it provides me peace and entertainment because I'm just like, Damn, I used to be just like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, now you can see it. Now you can see yeah. like, yo, I was really bugging. Like that was me. Like what the fuck? Yeah. 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 It sounded like you was wilding cuz like when you said that you were the dude <laughs> especially college is is that is that thing, man. Like um where did you go to school at? Well, I started a private technical college and then finished there and went to college. Okay. Yeah, and I was at NC State. 
And we were both in school at the same time. I started in 98. And I can definitely tell you that two things that are always stood out to me about my experience or whatever. Number one is even though it's, a, it's considered a, a PWI, a white school, I had a very black-ass experience when I was at yeah. NC State. Um, and I think a big part of that is because of where it's located. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's right here on, um, in Raleigh. Well, it's in Raleigh, and, you know, you've got Sean St. Aug right down the street. Central yeah. is in Durham, which is about 30-ish minutes away. Um, A&T is probably about an hour or so, a little more than that in Greensboro, um, so on and so forth, went to Salem State. So there's all these black colleges, and, you know, we always had parties and stuff. Like my first two years, but especially my freshman year, dog, it was lit. Oh, Niggas was coming yes, from sir. everywhere yeah. to party at NC State. And we were going other places. And most of that time, we was fueled by alcohol. Like, there's a lot of times where I was fucked up. Going to party. Like, we used to pregame. We used to go to, we would, like, we were young, but we had people that, and, you know, we had people that would buy for us. We would get the shit, and we would pregame, and we would get drunk. And then we would go to the party. And most of us were able to handle that and, by the time the party was over, we sweated it out anyway. Because, you know what I'm saying, we're in there yeah. dancing. There's thousands of people. Like, the student center is different now. Like, it's literally a different building than it was when we were in school. But there was this ballroom on the second second floor of the student center. I don't know how many people that it could actually fit. But there were nights that we were in there where, no lie, you could feel the floor shaking. Like it was, it would be that many motherfuckers in there, wow. and a lot of those parties was jumping. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And like I said, like we would go, we would get drunk beforehand, and end up sweating it out. But there were always people there. You know, we had a person in our crew that was like this. All the other crews had people like this at times, where there was there was that guy, in some cases that girl, that when they drank. It was on, especially if they drink certain shit. Like, yeah. you know, for us, it would be like we drink more brown. So most people, if they were drinking white, then it was like, all right. We got to stay on point tonight because we drinking white. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's definitely a time in a person's life where if they weren't drinking before, then they might really get into it. Because I know for me, like I really drink like that in high school. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't really into it like that. I started drinking more so when I was in college. Fortunately, you got, that's your, really your first taste of freedom. Yeah, exactly. You move away to college. Yeah, exactly. You know what I'm saying? Um, especially being so far away from home, too. Yeah. So, you know, me being from Connecticut and then coming down to go to school. So, yeah, so it, that was definitely a period in a lot of people's lives. And, and I bet a lot of people have a similar story um, that that's kind of like where they got started and, and, you know, where some of the trouble came from and all that type of thing. Yeah. Um, so... Two more things. Last, um, two more things before we wrap this up. Okay. Um, what advice would you give somebody that's currently trying to, you know, quit drinking? Um, what steps or resources would you recommend? I mean, I know you said earlier you probably wouldn't recommend the cold turkey thing, but from um, from your experience and what you've learned about it over time, you know, what words would you give somebody who's thinking like, you know, I may need to take that same step? Like, well, I mean, like the adage goes, acknowledging that you have a problem is the first step. Yeah. And, I mean, there's a myriad of places you can go. I mean, you've got alcohol to 
have a problem and you're trying to get help and have your friends also hold you accountable. Because that's I'm just telling you what worked for me. Yeah. And there's plenty of different methods, but that's that's the one I work for. Yeah, I, I think the accountability thing definitely is the beginning of it. Like you said, first of all, admitting that there is an issue and that you want to stop it and then going from there. That that once you I think once you and that goes with anything, but especially something like this, um, you definitely have to be honest with yourself, because um, you can lie to yourself all you want to, and that that's what'll keep you going down the wrong path. But whether you get there yourself, or like in your case, if there's an intervention or something like that, like you said, your friends told you at some point, it don't matter what they tell you. It's what you tell yourself. It's how what what do you believe about what's going on? And that's something that I've learned, you know, over time is that, you know, you can you can push a person into a certain direction, but at the end of the day, a grown man or a grown woman is going to make their own decision. So you have to choose that. So yeah, that's pretty much it, man. Um before we wrap up, let the people know where they can find you. Let them know all your social media, any things that you want to, you know, promote, anything that you just feel like the world needs to know and, and look into. <laughs> um, I have two podcasts. One is called At the Plate with Danny Foxworth. It's a baseball podcast where I basically talk with my Twitter friends about their favorite team. And I also have another podcast called Since We Last Spoke with Danny Foxworth where I cover a lot of different topics. You get childhood stories. It's not really centered on current events. It's just thinking of things that really haven't been heavily discussed and discuss those things that we have. I've had my parents on to talk about what it was like having lived with dealing with parents that had dementia. And I did a Wu-Tang album bracket tournament. <laughs> nice. solo album tournament bracket. I did a, gosh, I did a, a French prize tournament bracket. <laughs> now let me ask you let me ask you about that Wu Tang one. Where where did Takao rank? Um Takao wasn't ranked very high. I think a lot of people slept on Takao, man. I like Takao, yo. What? I yeah, I think it's a pretty good album, man. Like it's not like it's not, you know, purple tape or liquid swords or like it's not the upper echelon of the, the Wu-Tang solo projects, yeah. but I would encourage people to go back and listen to Takao and, and, and really give it a shot. Like, I think Method Man did his thing on that joint, man. It's, it's some joints on there, man. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll have to go back. <laughs> I remember the last time I listened, I was like, man, I just, I'm not as hyped about this as I was in high school. Yeah. I'll, I'll give it another, I'll give it another shot. No doubt. And I, you can find me on Instagram at Danny Fox with A Four Three. It's Danny F O X W O R T H A Four Three. And you can also find me on Twitter. It, you can call it X. It's still Twitter. It's Twitter. At, at Foxworth Danny. Word. And yeah, that's that's all I got to promote. That's what's up, man. Yeah, check out his both of his shows. Check out the IG. This brother loves to travel and and hang around, you know, good people in good places or whatever, so you'll definitely see, you know, 
cool places and cool food items and, and things like that that you may want to check out, especially if you are in the South Carolina or North Carolina area or whatever. And definitely follow him on Twitter. He's a good brother. I was surprised to hear that you were the, the drunk fight man, you know what I'm saying? Because you yeah. got such a pleasant, you know, energy about yourself and everything. I'm like, damn, this nigga. <laughs> yeah. Every single time. Yeah. It's funny. Yo, matter of fact, um, we met you, me and Danny met each other in person at the uh, Black Guy Who Tips uh, live show that they had a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And she didn't get much chance to talk to him or whatever, but my mother was with me and she said that you had a, a real good energy about you. So I wanted wow. to, to relay that to you. When mama brothers gives you that. Yeah. Man, you take that. Statement, <laughs> yeah. I, wish, so I wish I could take that statement and like dip it in gold and get like a Hall of Fame jacket. Yeah. They drape on it. Man. No doubt. That's all. Yeah, man. So I, I wanted, I, I almost forgot, but I'm definitely glad that I was able to remember that. She said that you seem like a real nice dude. I was like, yeah, he's a he's a good dude, man. So yeah, big big shout out to big shout out to, to Linda Stone. No doubt. Big shout out to Mama Brother. No doubt. Appreciate that. All right, man. So yeah, man. You know, we back in it. Look and listen podcast. We are back with the one on ones. There'll be another one whenever. Uh, I'll come up with some. <laughs> I'll come up with some more shit and holler back at y'all. But until then, check me out on Twitter at L Brothers Media, uh, at Look Listen Pod, and at South End Cinema. If you want to check out the movie stuff or whatever. And um, of course, you know, I got the South and Cinema podcast and the Look and Listen podcast. They're all coming at you on the same feed. So until next time, I holler at y'all. Peace.